White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that with the American Family Insurance Home Quote Tool, you can easily design a customized policy for your dream home right from the comfort of your couch. And fun paint fact, there are over 150 shades of white, like Hello White, Fluffy Bunny, Eggshell. They get it. Explore the AmFam Home Quote Tool at amfam.com home to learn more about your policy coverage options. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Mutual Insurance Company assigned its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Products not available in every state. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Visit us online at www.xzone-radio.com. The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Everybody likes a celebration Happy music and conversation Happy life if I said I didn't have the blues In the corner there's a couple dancing From the kitchen I can hear them laughing Oh, I wish I was celebrating too Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Now, Hamilton is right on the shores of Lake Ontario between the city of Toronto and Niagara Falls, Ontario. And I'll tell you something. We are smack dab in the middle 
of the Great Lakes Triangle. one 877 is toll-free. My email address is xzone at xzoneradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and xzonetv.com. My guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. And uh, Dr. Humphrey has degrees in physics from Oberlin. And he has a degree in philosophy from the University of uh, Washington, Seattle. He spent 10 years in academia at the USC Kansas State and Oklahoma State, 20 years in computer science. He retired at the early age of 55 to devote himself to full-time philosophy and physics. He is the author of Whole Earth Inner Space, which was published in 1973, Revelations on the Nameless One in 1982, and A Science of Civilization in 2002, Jumping Light Years in 2003, and UFOs, PSI, and Spiritual Evolution in the year 2004. And Dr. Chris Humphrey, welcome back to the Exxon. How are you, sir? Well, I'm good. How do I sound? You sound, you sound great. Well, good. Sometimes, you know, the, uh, these phones don't work the way they're supposed to. Well, you're sounding great tonight, and thank you very much for joining us. Now, I understand when you were a young gentleman at the age of 10, you saw a UFO. Yes, that's right. Sure. And I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of a, of a description of what you saw and how you felt. Okay. Uh, I grew up on a farm mm -hmm. in north-central Oklahoma, and I happened to be outside. It was just after sundown, but the light, you know, it was still full light. Mm -hmm. You know, the summer <clears throat> sunset. And my, my younger brother and my mother were in the house. My older brother and my father were in the barn. So I was the only person outside. Okay. So what I saw coming up over the trees to the west of me was a thing that looked like a meteorite. It was spherical. It was pitted. There was a kind of greenish aura around it. Mm -hmm. The only problem with that hypothesis was that it was traveling horizontally Oops. at a very slow speed, about 15 miles an hour or less, and making absolutely no noise. Doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Interesting story. The age of 10, he saw a UFO. And um, we're going to continue this conversation with our guest this hour, Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is www. Are you all ready for this? Interstellar-travel.com. This is the Exxon, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away.
future isn't just one night It's written in the moonlight And painted on the stars We can't change ours Don't give up on us, baby We're still worth one Welcome back to the Exxon. Our very special guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is www.interstellar-travel.com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Uh, doctor, before we went on the commercial break, you were telling us that you were outside uh, when you saw this meteorite, but it wasn't traveling the right direction, and it was slow, and it was making no sound. Yes, that's right. But it was obviously, uh, well, guided. It was a guided spacecraft, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously disguising itself as a meteorite. Now, this thing was seen all over Oklahoma and Texas. It was in the papers the next day. And they universally described it as a meteorite. And in fact, if you saw it from some distance, that could actually be a plausible explanation. But this one came right over my head yeah. at a height of about 200 feet. And then it made a sharp right-angle turn. It came out of the west and it went off to the south. <clears throat> and it did not communicate to me in any way. Uh, had no effect on me in any way, but I knew that this was something I wasn't going to be able to talk about to anyone. So I kept it secret for about 30 or 40 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it wasn't until I started writing these books that I finally decided I would confess to some of the experiences that I have had of the paranormal. I can tell you another one, if you would like. Oh, yes, please. I have... Personally, apported. You know what an apport is, right? Yes. Okay, I personally apported, not deliberately, but inadvertently. I was, I climbed up on my roof, which was the coolest thing to do for an old man like me, <laughs> and I started to get down, and my foot slipped, mm-hmm. and I was just on my way down onto some sharp spikes of the wire fence. And suddenly, in an instant, I was dressed out prone, just about an inch or two off the ground, which was sort of wet and muddy and you know, soft. Right. And that's how I fell. Didn't have you know, not a bone broken or a, um, a bruise. And that reminded me of Yuri Geller's inadvertent uh, abort. Yes. Thirty miles. Yeah. I've read about this, right? Yes, in fact, uh, Yuri has been on the show uh, many times, and he's discussed that with us. Oh, great. Yeah. That's fine. I'm, I'm glad to find someone who knows something about Yuri. Yes, no, he's a, he's a very good friend of mine. That's great. That is great. Yeah, I've corresponded with him by email, but that's you know, as far as it goes. Uh, he, he, um, he, he's, he's, he's slightly ahead of his time. But yeah. I believe that his time is now, and uh, people are finally starting to understand what the man's about. Right, right. I think so. I hope so. I mean, if we could just get rid of the noxious skeptics, 
Well, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for putting it so delicately on this family show, sir. <laughs> yes, that's right. that's right. Well, let's see. I've also seen something called table tipping at a party. Oh, yeah. Table tipping, yes. A lot of people have done this. It's mm -hmm. uh, you know, widely known as a, as a party thing. A parlor trick. Parlor trick. Yeah. And, of course, the illusionist would say, well, it's pretty obvious how that's and they could come up with several different ways that an illusionist could, could deal with it. But here you're dealing with <clears throat> a bunch of farm kids mm -hmm. who've never seen an illusionist. And it was just an ordinary card table. I helped put it up, you know, unfold the legs, yeah. put it on the rug. Mm -hmm. And I was also the skeptic, you know, crawling around underneath, make sure no one was lifting it with a knee or something. Yeah. Looking at people's fingers because if you push down hard, you can actually pull it so it tips up. Mm -hmm. But no one was doing that. We were all following instructions, just lightly touching the table. It took a long time to get it going. It just seemed like forever because we were all just concentrating enormously. And it just, you know, it seemed like, well, it really seemed like eternity. But finally, once it started tipping, it went wild. You know, it was, well, we, for instance, we asked it how many days there were until Christmas, and it started tipping very quickly 25 times. By the way, that was the wrong answer. <laughs> In fact, many of the answers it gave were wrong. Um, it seemed to only get the right answer if someone in the room knew the correct answer. But when we asked it to prophesy the outcome of the basketball game that we were yet to play, you know, I didn't get any of those right. But you know, it was just a phenomenon itself. Oh, by the way, ExoNation, uh, table tipping is not like cattle tipping at all. one uh, 877 is toll-free. Dr. Chris Humphrey is our very special guest. And um, Dr. Humphrey, what started your quest into, into investigating UFOs, uh, interstellar travel, forbidden sciences? I really believe it was that experience when mm -hmm. I was about 10, seeing the, the UFO. That was in 1950. And, you know, if you have an, an early experience like that, you know the textbooks are wrong. You, you just know it before you ever get to school. Right. And so I never forgot that. So I was never trapped by the prevailing worldview, which I think most people are. I think it's a matter of programming, personally. Because well, that may be just another name for it. Yeah. But, but, yeah, they're definitely programmed, and, and it's a credo. You know, it's like a religious belief. Yes, it is. And in the academic world, it's a credo that if you break, you'll lose your job. That happened to someone I, I knew out in Los Angeles, Dr. Thelma Moss, who wrote a very interesting introduction to psi phenomena, and she, she studied lots of stuff. She had little local TV programs back in the 1960s when she was active. But, you know, the, the, her friends kept warning her she shouldn't be studying this stuff because she'd lose her job, and finally she did, and she wasn't able to get another one. So she went into show business. <laughs> 
but uh, I don't really know the rest of her life story from that point. How do UFOs travel to the stars, Doctor? What's your theory? Uh, levitation and apportation. I mean, I think that they, the reason I think it's levitation for those low and slow trips mm -hmm. across the landscape without any noise and without any sign of a rocket, you know, is because that's exactly how things levitate in our experience. And, and uh, Yuri Geller has probably told you of the many times when in his presence things started levitating and apporting themselves all over the place. Yeah. And it's always very silent. That's, you know, a characteristic thing of both UFO and the airport and also of UFOs. <clears throat> Wait a minute, I think I repeated myself there. But whatever. <laughs> okay, so the other reason is that given the requirements of sun, planet, moon, metallicity, and age of the system. Uh, systems, planets like us, like ours, mm -hmm. have to be at least four or five billion years old. They have to be singlets for most most planetary systems are doublets or triplets of stars. So they have to be very far apart, like maybe thousands of light years. And yet there's reasons which I will probably be giving you in a, in a moment for thinking that they can travel here instantly and be home in time for supper, you know, even if they're, they live a thousand light years away. How would they do that? that? That seems impossible to our way of thinking. It does. But then the airport also seems impossible, and I can tell, tell you from my own personal experience, it takes no energy. It doesn't leave you tired. Mm -hmm. It's effortless. In fact, it's so effortless that I didn't even get very excited about it as you know, a significant experience until I read about Yuri's 30-mile airport. And I go, well, you know, I did something like that. <laughs> and uh, so if you can afford 10 feet, I think if you've got the nerve, you can afford a thousand light years just to see it. It's just a matter of concentration and uh, willpower, then. And, and experience, you know, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of experience. I mean, we are a young species of humanoid, you know, and we can already do kind of baby forms of phenomenal mm -hmm. powers. But what we will be able to do in 100,000 years, I think, if we survive, you know, as a species, <laughs> we might learn to control all these powers if we also learn to control the dark side of our nature, you know, we quit having wars, and, uh, you know, financial collapses, murder, and rape, and all that sort of stuff. All the negative things in this humanistic life of ours. Please stand by, Dr. Humphrey. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, our special guest this hour is Dr. Chris Humphrey. His website is www.interstellar-travel.com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com.
interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break and the news as the Exome continues on the Talk Star Radio Network. If you'd like to give us a call and ask the good doctor a question, lines are open at 1-877-528-8255. The Exome with yours truly, Rob McConnell, returns on the other side of this news break as we continue on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. All the bad news? Well, then take a break from the worries of the world and play the love game. It's time to focus on what is really important in our lives, our relationships. You deserve more love, happiness, and harmony in your life. Synchro Hearts is the new hot relationship game that guarantees more love, laughter, and romance for you and your partner. It's not a sex game. It's a love game based on all the important relationship stuff like better communication, more intimacy, and lots of fun and excitement. Great intimacy is just one of the benefits of playing Synchro Hearts. Now, President Obama inspires hope, love, and peace for the world. Synchro Hearts offers more hope, love, and harmony for relationships. To order your very own edition of Synchro Hearts, visit Synchro Hearts website now at www.synchrohearts.com. That's www.synchrohearts.com. Synchro Hearts. It's the game you love to play and play to love. Chris Humphrey is my special guest this hour, www.interstellar-travel.com. That's interstellar-travel.com. Uh, Dr. Humphrey, how do we... Can something here? Sure. Um, that uh, site has my blog on it, and it also has a number of complete books on it. Uh, some of them by me, some of them long out of print, but really important classics. So there's a lot of stuff on that site. I wanted to bring that up. All right, and that's at www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey, how do we know star-traveling humanoids really exist, and, and have they visited Earth in the past? Yes, they certainly have. And the best evidence for their, their existence and landed UFOs with the, the, the inhabitants, you know, standing around mm -hmm. or poking around outside. Like uh, one of the typical cases that happened very early, in fact, it happened in July of 1947, just about two weeks after Roswell, Professor Johannes, a well-known academic in Europe, was doing his alpine walking in Friuli, 
which is the farthest northeast section of Italy, and there's a you know high mountain valley. And he broke through some trees and was amazed to see this bright red disc stuck in the side of the mountain. <laughs> and so he saw some boys off in the distance, so he started running in their direction, some kind of you know, fluttering incoherently mm-hmm. about what this could possibly be. And he got up to them and he realized they weren't boys at all. They were little men wearing overalls sort of helmets, not space helmets, but, you know, cloth helmets, and they were green. <laughs> green? Little green, green. men? They, well, they were kind of a, a dark, earthy green. Mm-hmm. So, so this may be the origin of the little green men story. Right. Especially since it happened so early. And the, the only interaction they had between each other was that one of them became interested in his walking which is one of those alpine walking sticks that has an ice mm-hmm. hammer on, you know, as the handle. Yep. And so they temporarily paralyzed him somehow, <clears throat> I think, using some sort of powder, and they took his walking stick, and off they went up into the, the UFO, and it took off out of the mountain with you know, boulders flying every which way, but no damage to the ship. And, you know, it sort of got itself horizontal, hovered there for a minute, and that was gone. And this is, this is a, one of the cases that is well described in a, one of my classic favorite books about UFOs called The Humanoid. Charles Bowen is the editor, and... I think it's... Here's the whole title. Okay. Survey of Worldwide Reports of Landings of Unconventional Aerial Objects and Their Occupants. And it's a, a collection of articles by different U- ufologists. You know, it's, it's not just one scholar. Charles Bowen, Gordon Creighton, Amy Michelle, Coral Lorenzen, Antonio Rivera, and Jacques Vallée. And that is the classic book. You have that. Now, the reason why this is so scientifically important is because it instantly rules out things like swamp gas, you know, or Venus, or an, un- or an unconventional military aircraft made here on Earth. Mm-hmm. All those things are just totally ruled out. There's, the only thing it could be is a flying, you know, the only thing it could be is an interstellar spacecraft. There's, there's no other option left. What about interdimensional? Well, yeah, okay, that's, well, I'll allow that. Okay. I guess we can't rule that out. In fact, when you think about it, apportation almost has to involve some kind of interdimensional travel. That's right, yeah. I wonder what Yuri thinks about that. Well, you might ask him next time he comes on. Well, I'll tell you what, the next time I have him on, I'll bring you on as well. Well, good. I would, I would love to talk to him. From here, of course. Of course. Okay, so I would say that just just the studies in this book, The Humanoid, should prove to any skeptic mm-hmm. that we have been visited by hundreds of different species of humanoids. They're all humanoids. 
You know, but they have different sizes, different colors, different degrees of hairiness. But some of them are so much like us that in the Antonio Diaz Robles case in Brazil, where he was sort of um, grabbed and taken, taken into the spacecraft bodily <laughs> by the whole crew, six of them, one of them female. Anyway, they they sort of uh, sprayed him down, cleaned him up <clears throat> inside and out, and introduced him to the female crew member naked. And he was naked also. And, well, of course, the result was intercourse, which he enjoyed. He, the only thing he didn't like was their manner of speech, which sounded like barking dogs. Yeah, that's happened to me once or twice. Yeah, well, oh, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, he enjoyed it. But the thing is that this was a species so close to us mm -hmm. biologically that they could actually be human that somehow branched off into an interstellar phase you know, thousands of years ago I mean, by some unknown means. Well, is, is it possible, Doctor, that... The, the interstellar species that we are talking about here uh, were actually the angels or the Nephilim that were, that were talked about in the Bible, as well as the, the, um, the, the gods that were talked about in Greek mythology. Yeah, I mean, all those things are, are certainly possible. They, they really could pass as humans, mm -hmm. except they were a little smaller than we are. They were about the size of pygmies. Now, Antonio Villas Boas um, was also fairly short, right. about five feet tall, and probably this girl was about um, almost five feet tall. So, you know, they, they were similar. But, yeah, I, I don't like to... <clears throat> I mean, I have too much of a tendency to wander off on the tangents anyway. <laughs> so... <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't get into the, the film and all that stuff in this book. But you know, when you when you start reading the the tales of Greek mythology and compare them to the biblical accounts of of angels, uh, it, they parallel. For example, God lives in heaven on high, and the Greek gods lived atop of Mount Olympus. All deities descended, and in Greek mythology, you have uh, you have Hercules, who certainly had um, more than mere mortal powers, and who was the 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 uh, the product of a god with a mortal. In the Christianity, you have Jesus, who was able to do more than any other mortal could, who was once again. The product of a deity and a and a human. Right. <clears throat> well, I, all I can say is that all that's possible. Yeah. I have no about it. Now, why is it necessary for star travelers mm. and spiritual? That is a hard question. I mean, that's a difficult thing, but it's at the center of my latest book. UFOs, science, spiritual evolution. Mm -hmm. And you, 
have to understand that it's all centers around Jeremy's paradox. <coughs> Excuse me. This was Enrico Fermi who helped build the atomic bomb, Italian physicist. And he simply asked, I mean, the people around the table were talking about ETs, UFOs, and so forth. And he just said, Doctor, you're starting to fade out on us. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I shall either talk louder or maybe I can turn up the volume on this thing. Is that better? Much better, thank you. If I get any worse, I'll go try the other phone. No, this, this is fine. Okay. Anyway, he said, if there really are ETs, why haven't they invaded Earth? And, you know, he was sort of assuming that if there really were ETs, they would behave the way we do. Ah. But my theory is that you cannot become a star traveler or indeed maintain any high level of these paranormalist powers mm -hmm. if you have not also undergone a great degree of spiritual evolution. And that's kind of the, uh, the point of view of the yogis, too. They say that, you know, of course, they don't concentrate on getting those powers, those rishis, I think they call them. But they say that if you want to get them, you first have to be spiritually evolved. You have to develop your, your mind and soul as well as your body. And I think that that's why we, there are no Star Wars. There will never be an attack on Earth like Independence Day or anything like that. All the stuff that the stock and trade of science fiction writers is all impossible. It's all baloney. It will never happen. Mm -hmm. It has never happened. I mean, there's no evidence of any past invasion of Earth by otherworldly creatures. I know of, and so that's the answer to the Fermi paradox. It's a paradox only if you think that if they're ETs, they, they must behave the same way we do, but we are a nasty, brutish, violent, primitive society. Yes, we are. We, we will have to outgrow that before we will ever be able to go to the stars. And you know what, Doctor? I think that we're on the right track. I think so, too. I have a lot of faith in, uh, in mankind. Tell me, Doctor, what are the forbidden sciences, and why are they forbidden? Well, there's the study of psychical phenomena. Mm -hmm. There's the study of UFO phenomena. There's Toynbean history. That's one that probably not too many people know anything about. There's something that can either be called empirical metaphysics or just the science of spirituality, that might be a better term, and finally utopian analysis. So there are five of them. And the reason they're all forbidden from universities, from the major media, uh, forbidden <clears throat> in our worldview is because they are not compatible with our worldview. So we would have to open up our minds and be willing to accept uh, a new worldview. And I think that's really the essence of intelligence. And 
Intelligence is the ability to learn from experience, no matter how much it may contradict everything you've been told. And many people cannot do that. They just cannot do it. In my family, there are a bunch of academics, a bunch of very smart people, and only one of them has any openness at all to this kind of thing. And it's not because they're stupid, it's just because they have, you get, the worldview gives you an idea of what is possible and what is impossible. And so if you're brought up in the reductionist, materialistic worldview, you think everything is, happens by cause and effect mm-hmm. or chance, and everything reduces to atom space, right? That's the reductionist credo, and you break it at your peril you want to be an academic uh, scientist or a philosopher or anything. If you want to be in the academy and get grants and things like that. Doctor, stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Dr. Chris Humphreys, my special guest this hour, Exxon Nation www.interstellar-travel.com Not only is that his blog address, but there are many books, incomplete books, that are at that site as well. I'll be back on the other side of this break, right here on Talkstar. Hey, hello there. I'm Vic. Chris Humphrey is our special guest this hour, www.interstellar-travel.com. That's www.interstellar-travel.com. Dr. Humphrey, is there such a thing as life after death, and how do we know there is? Yes, there is, certainly. And we know it from the near-death experience studies, of which there are many. Mm-hmm. You've probably read a lot of them, and so have I. And... Even more strongly, we know it from the proof of reincarnation of the late Professor Ian Stevenson of the University of Virginia. And what he did was to travel, by the way, he had the advantage all his working life of having a patron, a guy who, a millionaire, the guy who invented the Xerox process, mm-hmm. was Carlson. And he put up millions all through. Stevenson had a life to support his extensive research, <clears throat> first on young children who begin to talk about a previous lifetime, this 
soon as they learn to talk, and secondly, about people who in a very deep trance can speak languages and dance dances and so forth that they don't know or cannot do consciously. That's called responsive xenoglossy. Now, Stevenson is a very rigorous guy, very cautious, he never wrote any any popularizations of his books. Mm-hmm. He only gave one interview, and if you do a, a Google on Ian Stevenson, you can find that, that one interview, which probably explains his ideas better than anything. But the point is that if you read his technical monograph, like 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation, and you really look at the details, and they're all in there, because this is not a a book for the Hoi Polloi. This is a technical monograph. And he comes to the last chapter, and he shows that every single hypothesis you can think of to explain these things can be ruled out by one thing or another in these different cases, in the 20 cases. That's 20 out of several hundred that he had at the time. <clears throat> and he probably had thousands of such cases in his library by the time he died. <clears throat> so, in my opinion, Stevenson was the Galileo of the last century. I mean, someday he will be, he will rule as the greatest scientist of that century, not Einstein, because we're much more interested in life after death than we are in relativity. You know, if you don't want to be Dr. Humphrey, we have just run out of time for tonight. I do want to thank you so much for joining us. Always great talking to you. And I look forward to the next time when you and I meet here in the X-Zone. Great. Good night, Doctor. Take care of yourself now, and thanks again. Good night, sir. www.interstellar-travel.com Now, when I come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, I'll be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove as the Exxon continues right here on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Xavier University is tackling Ohio's nursing shortage by giving individuals with non-nursing bachelor's degrees an opportunity to accelerate into the profession. Whether you studied accounting, biology, marketing, or anything in between, our ABSN program can prepare you for nursing practice in as few as 16 months. So if nursing is your calling, now's the time to answer it. Enroll for one of three terms at our locations in Cincinnati, Cleveland, or Columbus. Search Xavier ABSN to apply. Tom didn't consult mattress firm sleep experts and has been sleeping on the wrong bed. Anyone seen my keys? And his junk sleep is starting to add up. Or my car. As bad as today is, tomorrow will be worse. He'll charge his phone in the toaster. It smells like emojis. No, it smells like junk sleep, Tom. Don't let junk sleep spiral. Mattress firm sleep experts train over 200 hours to put you on the right mattress. Unjunk your sleep. Go in-store or online at mattressfirm.com today.